0: morning, everyone. Thank you, Jess. It's a great, it's a blessing to have so many young men that God's working in their hearts and calling them into ministry and just watching them grow and develop and learn to lead God's people and be an example. So pray for Jesse and his dear wife. Um, they're growing in grace and we're thankful for them. I want to welcome you. A couple things I want to mention real quick. First of all, maybe you saw some stuff over in the fields over there. Today is Lower Makefield Township's Community Day. So we have a booth over there and we're looking at it as an opportunity to just meet people in the neighborhood, invite people to church, just make connections. So if you have time afterward, just there's all kinds of fun stuff over there. You're very welcome and just wanna bring that to your attention. Secondly, don't forget that Kids Club registration's now open and you can register your children for that. But one last thing, and this is really important. Said it before, but it's really important. We need more helpers with children. We have a good problem. We have growing pains. We have 200 children coming on Sunday morning. So specifically, I want you to pray about this, okay? Don't think everybody, anybody, somebody's gonna do it. Think about whether God wants you to do this. We need a helper on a regular basis for the 9:15 preschool. We need two helpers for the 11 o'clock preschool. We need a teacher for the 11 o'clock preschool. We need a teacher for the 11 o'clock kindergarten, and we need a helper for the 11 o'clock kindergarten. So I'll have this. If you're not able to stick around, you can email the church, you can talk to Janet. But be in prayer for that. These are specific needs, and we really would like to see the Lord raise up some folks to help us with that. So, with that in mind, I have no idea where I put my clicker. Anybody see a clicker laying around? Is it back there? It was, is it on the back table? Um, Anybody see it on that back table? Okay. Can you throw it up here real quick? (laughs) No. (laughs) You thought he was going to do that. Um. You're welcome to take one of these Bibles. I want you to think about this. Did you ever notice how fun it is to think about something you're looking forward to? You know, like a little kid, Christmas Eve, you're laying there wondering what you're going to get in the morning. As you get older, you're thinking about that vacation um, for singles who are engaged, looking forward to their honeymoon. There's just something profound about the joy of looking forward to something, okay? So I want you to think about this, that when was the last time you looked very forward to the return of Christ? where you really anticipated and were excited that Jesus is coming back, that's going to be awesome. And I'll be the first one to stand in line and say, I don't always do that. Sometimes I don't even think about it. And sometimes when I do think about it, it doesn't have a profound effect on my emotions or on my heart. But as I was studying this week and going over this, the Lord just worked in my heart. And just as I was, I was thinking through this, and yesterday I was doing some things around the house, I literally fell on my knees in tears As I was listening to some songs on the radio, there are so many songs that talk about the return of Christ, and one of the things that we're taught to do is to continue to reflect on them. If you'll notice, we're always supposed to, by faith, be looking in two directions, backwards and forwards. We always are looking back to the cross to rehearse the gospel, but the Bible tells us that we should always be looking ahead by faith to the return of Christ. There's an old gospel song called Near the Cross, and one of the, one of the lines was, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk every day with its shadow o'er me. But I thought to myself, if I rewrote that song about the second coming, I would word it this way. Come again, O Lamb of God. Bring that scene before me. Help me walk from day to day with that thought before me. So this morning as we finish up our study of Back to the Future, we want to talk about the return of Christ, these great resurrections, these judgments, rewards, heaven and hell. Now we're not going to cover them all in detail, but I just want you to think about how you and I as Christians should be thinking about these things. And when you're not thinking about them on a regular basis, you you need to recalculate. I need to be recalculated. People in profoundly difficult circumstances, like our brothers in Syria who are being deeply persecuted, they're thinking about the return of Christ all the time. They got nothing to look forward to in this life, but just to get through it. And so, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to go through some basic things. Please don't tune out and go, I already know this stuff. Because you may know it, but God will speak to your heart and revive within you, what difference is it making? And how are you thinking about this? And are you anticipating and looking forward to the return of Christ? So as simple as this, when Jesus was taken back into heaven, one of the most basic verses, Acts chapter one, when he was literally going up in the clouds, two angels said to them, verse 11, men of Galilee, why are you looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way. You see him going up in those clouds? He will come in just the same way. He's coming back in the clouds. This morning I want us to think about what difference does that make? So let's pray, Father, help us to be excited, convicted, changed as we anticipate the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, first of all, let me remind you that when he comes, it's not gonna be something that people are gonna go, what just happened? Everyone's gonna see it. The second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes out of heaven to earth, behold, he's coming with the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, the sense here is that most people aren't gonna be glad about this. It says all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it's not like everybody's gonna be looking up going, yes, but rather the Bible says they will be saying, hide us from the wrath of the lamb because the day of his wrath will come. But yet, many of us, if you're a believer, will be saying, yes, Lord Jesus, we've been waiting for you. Now I even thought about that. How can everybody see him at once? Is it gonna be on television? Because remember, the earth is round, right? So if if he comes on this side of the globe, how are the people on the other side? I don't know, and I'm not worried about it, but somehow he's gonna come in such a way that everybody's gonna see him. And when they see him, I want you in your mind as a Christian to think about what will happen. Think about getting on a ride at Disney, Space Mountain, right, if I ever go on Space Mountain, I am gonna ask people who have already gone on it, what should I expect? Because I don't want to get my neck jerked out of joint. I I don't want to be at my chiropractor. I don't want to have some surprise that I didn't see coming. So the Bible teaches that we should think about some of the profound things that are going to happen when he returns. Now, just think in your mind. What are some things that you expect to happen when the Lord Jesus returns? Well, first of all, maybe some of you haven't thought about this. The first thing he's going to do is fight a battle and destroy his enemies. Because what we learn from Scripture is in the last days, there's going to be an increasing hostility towards God, and there is going to be an awareness that, that, that God's going to come back. And so the Bible tells us in the book of Zechariah that there will be a great war, an army, some people call it the Battle of Armageddon, where many nations are gathered against the city of Jerusalem. And it's at that time when the Lord Jesus returns to the earth. Now remember we talked a couple weeks ago about the rapture. Some people think the rapture happened seven years before. Some people think it's happened at the same time. But just mark in your mind, one of the first things that's gonna happen is Jesus is coming to open up a can of wrath, okay? So here's an example, Zechariah 14. A day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Now here it is. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. So the first thing Jesus is going to do, he's coming to unleash his wrath against his enemies. Book of Revelation as it describes the return of Christ. Revelation 19 As John has this vision of Christ. Remember, the first time Christ came to earth, he was called a lamb. And he rode on a donkey, a symbol of peace. But when he returns, he's coming as a lion, and he's riding on a white horse, a symbol of a conquering king. And John says, I saw heaven open and a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges. And Notice, he wages war. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, all the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, who are these armies in heaven? Some people think it's just angels, while others would say it's angels plus believers, right, because we're taken up, we're with him, and now we're coming back with him to watch him unfold his wrath, it says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations. And obviously that's a metaphor. He doesn't have a, a dagger coming out of his mouth. But he rules them with a rod of iron. He treads the fierce wrath of God Almighty. So the first thing that we need to be aware of is when Jesus comes back, all the way back in the Psalms, the psalmist said, why do you nations rage against the Lord and say, we will not have Messiah reign over us? Because God already said, I have sent my son, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. So they're not gonna like it. There's nothing they can do about it. So that's the first thing he'll do. But the second thing he'll do, and you know this, but just to be reminded, he'll raise all of the dead. Everyone who's in the grave right now will be resurrected. And you'll notice that he's doing that in order to judge both the living and the dead. Some people will still be alive when he returns. But there will not be a single grave that is left empty. And we don't need to worry about cremation or what if you were eaten by a shark? God's not gonna go, oh, wrong ear on wrong person, you know, Mr. Potato Head. Everybody's coming out of the grave. Now think about this. 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Picture that, you're gonna be there. How many times have you heard me say this? One day you'll stand before God, and if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Are you prepared? Have you thought about this? So sure as we're standing here right now, if Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to be standing before God, and Paul appeals to that and his appearing in his kingdom. Now later we'll talk about what's that going to look like, but for now, first of all, he'll he'll raise the dead and he'll judge the living and the dead. But then we learn that another event will happen, and that is he will glorify all of his followers and he will reward them for their service. Okay. Now now think about, we got followers all over the place, right? Some of those followers, their souls are in heaven right now. We talked about that. Their bodies are in the grave. But some of those followers will still be alive at his return. But one thing the Bible makes clear about All of God's followers, there's this term the Bible uses that says God's going to glorify us. So if you've never heard that, mark that down in your mind. You might not know what it means, but just know this. A a verse as simple as Romans 8, all things work together for good. It says, For whom God foreknow, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, in whom he predestined, these he called, and whom he called, these he justified, and whom he justified. Now look at this phrase, These he also glorified. Now, you'll notice that this hasn't happened yet, but if you're familiar with grammar, that's in the past tense. And if you were to say to God, why would you put something that hasn't happened in the past tense? He goes, mark it down. It's going to happen. this is one of the reasons why I don't believe a true Christian, how could you lose your salvation? If everyone he justifies, he glorifies, Okay. So when I see someone renounce the faith, I don't go, oh, they lost their salvation. I go, they must not have been saved because everyone God justifies, he glorifies. So, so glorification is, 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 is profound because what's going to happen is God's going to take our bodies. If you're alive, he's going to transform your body, remove your sin nature, and give you this brand new spiritual body. If you're dead, he's going to resurrect you and give you this new glorious spiritual body. And we're supposed to be waiting for that. Look what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, our citizenship is in heaven. From which we... Now look at this adverb. We eagerly wait. We're not boringly waiting. We're eagerly waiting. For what? For a Savior. Jesus is up in heaven and I'm eagerly waiting for Him. And what's He going to do? Well, there's a lot of things. But look what this verse says. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. And it's going to be a powerful work by the exertion of His power by which He subjected all things to Himself. So that's a big deal. Think about this. You're not going to be like you are now. When when Christ returns, if you're a believer, He's going to transform us so that we have no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin nature. The very appearances of our bodies will be changed. The Bible says we will all be conformed to the image of Christ. And we're told to eagerly wait for that. And every time you feel aches and pains and creaky bones and, and, and you struggle with your sin and Paul goes, I groan within myself, we wait for that day. Won't it be great to have not a single trouble in the world, not a care in the world, but to be glorified? What a great event that we look forward to. But in addition to glorifying all of his saints with this new body that will never die, he then begins to reward his followers. Now, this is kind of cool. I don't know why he does this. I'm just grateful that he saves sinners. And I would be fine if Jesus says, I will save you from your sin by my grace, and I will let you into heaven by the skin of your teeth, and you're just going to sweep the, the, the floor. But what the Bible teaches, and you know this, some of you need to think about this. If you're a Christian, your life matters now and what you are doing or not doing for Christ, you're going to answer for that. Jesus did not just give you hell insurance and say, hey, once you're saved, you know, enjoy it, I'll be back for you. The Bible tells us that we are to passionately, fervently serve the Lord. And everything that we do for Christ the Bible says he's going to give us rewards. So notice, he'll glorify us, but he will reward us. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now, this is Paul talking about Christians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's one word in Greek. Some of you have heard this. It's called the bema seat, B-E-M-A. This was a, a raised platform on which someone sat to give rewards and, and, and to deal out Punishments at time, so Pilate sat on the bema when he judged Jesus, and in, they had the Olympics back then. When the Olympics were done, the judge would sit on the bema seat, and he would give laurel crowns to the victors. And so we're told in the Bible that God will recompense us for our deeds. When was the last time you thought about your rewards? That's not unbiblical. When I hear people say, "Don't do things for rewards." I sometimes say, please stop talking. Because Jesus didn't say, don't do things for rewards. He said, lay up your treasures in heaven. That shouldn't be your only reason. It should be out of love for Christ, but it can be a motivating reason. So notice the New Testament talks about this. Paul says, He who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. You've heard me tell this story, Tammy and I had a neighbor over one time, Tammy was talking to her about Christ, we were having lunch, and this lady was right about to get saved, and Tammy got up to get lunch, and she starts talking to me, right? And so I just happened to finish the conversation, and she accepts Christ right then, and Tammy and I were joking afterwards, she goes, you stole my fruit, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like when you're picking blueberries and somebody hogs, and I go, listen, We're not rewarded, and she didn't really mean that, it was just a joke. We're not rewarded for who we bring to Christ. But can you help me? It says, you're rewarded according to your labor. Now, I want to press home something that I find very important. What are you doing for Jesus? What are you doing? I fear that a number of you are doing nothing, right? Right? And it grieves us as pastors. Lately, we've been having trouble getting volunteers. This pains me that we can't get enough people to set up chairs. Are you kidding me? A Christian for whom Jesus died, and we can't get enough people to commit? Well, I don't want to commit to anything. If you come and you say, I'm going to set up chairs for Jesus, I tell you this in the word of God, you will be rewarded for that. Paul says, if any man's work which he built remains... And and, and so he's talking there about our motives and our secret life. And you know what, you can't just rest on your former rewards. You walk away from Christ, you lose rewards. So John says, watch yourself, that you don't lose what we've accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Many of you are very familiar with investments. Can I tell you, you're gonna be very embarrassed And you're going to be very sad when you get to heaven if you did not make any heavenly investments. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, when they gave money to him for the cause of the gospel, he said, I don't need your money. But he said, I love to think about the profit that is growing in your account. And so ask yourself, am I giving generously? Am I monitoring what I'm giving? Oh, I can't afford that, you know. When you write your checks at the end of the week, when you get paid, do you go, Sorry, God, there's nothing left for you? Or do you give to God first? Because that's, that's what Christians do. We generously give and we serve, and, and we know that God's going to take note of that, and we're going to lay up treasures in heaven. So, Jesus is, you're like, Wow, never, he's going to do a lot of stuff when he comes out. That's going to be a busy day for him, right? He'll fight, destroy his enemies, raise the dead, glorify his followers. The next thing that he'll do, and, and I don't want you to think of these as like sequential, like he's got his, his day planner. He's like, all right, that's done. But, but they're all you know, kind of going to happen in the same time, is that he will establish his kingdom on earth and begin to rule forever. In God's sovereign purposes, when he first created the earth, his kingdom was on earth. And his appointed ruler was Adam. He was a theocratic king. He was ruling and had dominion over the earth, right? But when Adam sinned, the Bible teaches that he lost that privilege to rule the earth and that the kingdom of God was on earth. Instead, as someone said, before Adam's scepter of ruling even hit the ground, the devil grabbed it. And in Luke chapter four, he said, the devil said, all the kingdoms of this earth have been handed over to me. And right now on planet Earth, while Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he reigns from heaven, his full kingdom authoritative rule has not yet been fulfilled on planet Earth. Jesus is not reigning on Earth in the same way he will in the future. When you're walking down the street and you hear somebody use the F-bomb and then the name of Jesus Christ in a swear word, I assure you that will not happen in his kingdom. And that's why as Christians we're told, pray Lord, let your kingdom come on this earth. It's going to be just a little bit different when Jesus is on this earth. And I say that tongue-in-cheek. And he's reigning and ruling over the world with a rod of iron. And this is a profound event. As you're reading the book of Revelation, sometimes as it describes the return of Christ to earth. Look at this, this verse. When the seventh angel sounded, there were loud voices saying, the kingdom of this world... Can you imagine when Jesus Christ comes onto this earth and he takes over? The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and he will reign forever and ever. The songwriter said, Jesus shall reign wherever moon and wax shall wane. Every inch of this planet will be ruled by Jesus Christ in person. And when that happens, the 24 elders sit on the throne and say, we give you thanks, O Lord God, who was and were, who are and was, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. It's pretty profound. Remember that old gospel song? I forget who it was. It might have been the Imperials. It won't be old Buddha sitting on the throne. It won't be old Muhammad calling us home. It won't be Harry Krishna plays that trumpet tune. We're going to see God's son, not Reverend Moon. Jesus is coming to reign and rule. And and again, these are things that should get you thinking. Like, I want to tell me what it's going to be like. You know, you can go more in depth. We've got plenty of Bible teachers here who can help you. We'll connect you with good books. that will give you more data. But notice the next one. He will create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, Christians debate about when that will be, and I don't want to take time this morning to to get into a lengthy discussion, but some of you have never even heard this term, the millennium. In Revelation 20, it says he will rule for a 1,000 years, and then after that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Christians have different views on that. Some believe that it will be a 1,000 years on this earth, And that's called the the premillennial position. He's going to come back before the millennium. Others believe that we're in the millennium. That when Jesus comes back, the day he comes back, he's wiping everything out and starting over. So I want you to think about this. There's a difference between a makeover and a new heaven and a new earth. If I took my car into the shop and they totally transformed it and repainted it and they said here's your new car, I'd say, that's not a new car. That's just a car with some, some, some touch-up. So I want you to think about this vast universe. This is what the Bible says is gonna happen. God said in Isaiah 65, Behold, I create, a new, I create new heavens and a new earth. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this means, but look at this verse. The former things shall not be remind, remembered or come to mind. Now, one thing that may come out of that verse is people sometimes ask the question, what if somebody I love isn't in heaven? How, how could I be happy if they're not in the kingdom of God? I don't know exactly what that means, but that may somehow affect it. I don't think it means nothing will be remembered, but it will be different. Isaiah said, just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, so your offspring and your name will endure. But then you're going, well, if he's going to make a new one, what's he going to do with the old one? Just put it in storage? Nope, he's going to torch it. That's profound. Think about that. We are looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning. The elements will melt with intense heat. Some of you are going, my car? (laughs) That house that I'm building in the mountains? And that's one of the reasons why we're taught in the Bible. Don't get so preoccupied with the stuff that we see that's down here on earth. It ain't going to last. And if I come out to my car and I see a ding in it, I don't like it. But at the end of the day, now God's going to probably test me. and I'm going to have a big ding in it. He's going to say, let's see how you... I'm coming. Look, if you did it, I'm coming for you. I want your insurance to pay for it, right? But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Well, I'll tell you one thing is going to be different, in which righteousness dwells. That will be the rule, not the exception. Would you say righteousness dwells in this earth? Sometimes it's hard to even find it anymore. As John described the new heavens and the new earth, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And all of us fishermen are going, what am I gonna do with that? I'm not gonna get the deep sea fish. Doesn't say there's no more water, says there's no more sea. Because as you study what the Bible teaches about the sea, the sea seems to be a a, a picture of rebellion. And God's telling the sea, thus far and no further. It's it's instability, It's, it's, it's rage and tossing to and fro. The Bible doesn't have a lot of good things to say about the the turbulence of the sea. It's beautiful, God made the sea and everything in it. But everything's gonna be calm and peaceful. There's gonna be rivers and a sea of glass, or, or, or a lake of glass. He says, and I saw out of the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, in this new heaven and new earth, God's coming. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he shall dwell among them. God's going to be here visibly. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them. Does that sound like fun to you? Depends on what you think about God, right? Have you been redeemed so that you have affections toward God? Or you're like, what do I want to be with God for? He's, he's mean. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Some of you have tears this morning. Can't even think of the tears of shame, brokenness, pain, losing your children. You name it. Some of you, have, all of those tears from life's sufferings, he will wipe them away. And there shall no longer be any death. Nobody's going to, I thought the other day, please, God, don't let me bury my children. It ain't going to happen. Some of you might have caught, did you, did you catch that McCain's mom still alive? She's like 106. Nobody wants to bury their kids will don't have to worry about that anymore. There's no death. There's no mourning. You won't be sad. Unending joy. There's no crying. There's no pain. I hate pain. If you like pain, there's something wrong with you. There's a. There's a. That's a diagnose and treatable illness. And what do we do when we're in pain? We often do the dumbest things to get out of it, right? I'm in pain in my marriage, Well, good, find another marriage. I'm not saying everybody who gets divorced is doing that. When, when I'm in pain emotionally, I'll just drink till I don't feel it anymore. Perhaps the, the greatest example of this is when people commit suicide in their pain. I, I sympathize, you can understand why they're doing that, why? They're in pain and they're looking for a way out. But I don't think suicide's the answer. It's somehow finding the Lord Jesus and realizing that God doesn't promise us a pain-free life now. He does promise us a pain-free life then, but we are learning to manage our pain by God's grace now. So, what will it be like in the new heavens and the earth? We'll be praising God in his presence, the saints and the angels. There's no more sin, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. We're in resurrected bodies. We're with Jesus forever. We're with our fellow loved ones. In the song, Trust and Obey, it talks about, and we'll walk by his side in the way. So what are we going to do when we're by his side? For this reason, we're before the throne of God. We serve him day and night. We're not going to just stand around going, this is boring. But, but he who sits on the throne spreads his tabernacle over them. We'll hunger no more, thirst no more. The sun won't be down. There won't be any heat. The Lord Jesus, the lamb in the center of the throne, shall be our shepherd. You know, guide us the springs of the water of life. It's going to be great to be in this new heaven and earth. So, let me ask you this. Do you know if you'll be there? You're like, where do I get a ticket for that? Can I get in? Remember when I said Jesus will judge the heaven and the earth? Make a note of this because this is, this is your appointed court case. You want to know who your God, your judge is? It's God. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them, and I saw the dead, great and small. It's going to be you and me standing before God. And books are open. What do you mean, books are open? These books are records of every single thing you ever did and thought. And as these books are open, God's going to open a book of life, and the dead are judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. I can't tell you how many people tell me, I'm good. I'm just going to tell God I'm good. And I go, when he opens up those books, it says, good? What about this? Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. What about this? Oh, you saw that? Do you want to stand before God and, 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 and so I'm good enough? I went to church? Let's go down to verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. What's that going to be like? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, darkness, separation from God, and eternal destruction. Are you trying to scare me, pastor? Nope. But I do want to warn you. God takes no pleasure when people perish. He longs for people to be saved. If you came up in a church where you're terrified of God, he doesn't want you to be terrified of him because he's offered a way to escape this. It's Christ and his cross. Jesus paid it all. And if you come to him and you surrender your will to him and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven and your name's in the book of life. And you don't need to be afraid of this. But if you don't, then I hope you'll tremble to think what's awaiting you. But it's your choice. Where will you spend eternity? If you're a Christian, I am so. aren't you thankful that I don't have to fear that? Doesn't that motivate you to want to love and serve Christ? Doesn't that motivate you to want to win your kids and your family and your loved ones? We're not talking about, do you like the eagles or do you like the bears? We're talking about people are going to heaven or hell. And and every day we can have an impact in our prayers and the way we live. But the decision is yours. The one who believes in him is not condemned. So you want to know the verdict? Ask yourself, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to tell you, to believe in him is not, yeah, I believe he exists. The devil believes that. I believe in George Washington, but not in any way similar to the way I believe in Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ is, number one, to trust him. You are casting your soul on him. You're not just believing some dogma. And as Benjamin comes, I want you to think about this. You're not just saying yes, I assent to a couple facts. You are trusting that Jesus Christ hung on that cross and paid for your sins and rose again. You are casting yourself on Christ alone. You're not trusting in purgatory, you're not trusting in your good works. Today you might have been an irreligious sinner but you can come to Jesus. Today you might be a religious sinner and you've been trusted in your good works. It doesn't say whoever is a good person, the one who believes. But to believe in Christ also involves a decision of the will to follow him. You can't just have hell insurance and go, but I'm not, I'm not willing to let him change me. And so it's really sad to think there will be many, many people who sat in a church every Sunday and will be in hell because they never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as a decision He that does not believe is condemned already because he has believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. He hasn't done it. Do you believe this morning? Some of you go, I do, Pat. I do believe that. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever publicly acknowledged that? One of the first ways that you show that you're a believer, the Bible says, you confess with your mouth that you believe in your heart. And so Benjamin's going to play a song. I don't do this all the time, and I'm just going to make it brief. I believe the Holy Spirit speaking to hearts this morning. If you go, I'm in, and you have never publicly showed people that you, you trust and want to follow Christ, it's a wonderful and profound thing to stand before God's people and say, yes, I do believe. It's not easy because you're like, what are people going to think of me? But I hope this morning you're going, I don't care what people think of me. I care what he thinks of me. Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me, and I won't be ashamed of you. So if you have never publicly professed your faith in Christ, please don't come if you've already done this. But if you've never publicly said, I just want to be known as a follower of Christ. Walking up here does not save you. God doesn't go, now you're going to heaven. But the Bible always talks about making it public. You're in front of your friends now, and if God's speaking to your heart, as we sing this song, how deep the Father's love. Just get up out of your seat and come and stand with me, and we're going to rejoice because God has brought you out of darkness into light. Christians, pray as the Holy Spirit moves. Let's, let's sing together. Stay seated, and just come if you want to profess your faith. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son Anybody To make a wretched treasure How great the pain the of searing loss The Father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen Bring many sons to glory. Amen. I would like to hope that that's because everybody here is a believer. You're saved. You know the Lord. And I praise God for that. If you didn't come and you don't know the Lord, it's not too late to come to Christ. You don't come forward to come to Christ. So talk to somebody. Don't just run out holding your ears going, I don't want to think about that. Talk to someone. We're here to help you. So let's stand together as we're dismissed. Jesus, thank you that you're coming again. We we thank you so much that you're Lord of all. Bring your second coming, all of its scenes before us. And may we Christians love each other, forgive each other, serve each other, and live to advance your gospel. Bring our children, our grandchildren, bring those who have fallen away. Use this church as an epicenter for a spiritual earthquake in which the gospel rings out in our community. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.